and welcome to the Shepherding Talk podcast. This is Aaron Kempel. Thanks for joining us. Today I'm going to share with you a sermon that I preached recently on why join a local church. Hope this helps. Well, good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Hopefully you picked up an outline on the way in. Uh, Reuben and I are trying to make it a uh, pattern that you can get used to, that when you come in Sunday, there's outlines available. It's good to have those so you can go along and know where we're going and have the verses we're talking about, and you can take notes on that page. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask us uh, afterwards. We're going to talk about today the question, why join a local church? And so I hope that this will be helpful for you today and encouraging, and as you look into God's Word, Uh, that you'll see what I'm teaching, and then if it's against God's Word, please tell me that. Uh, And if you have any questions, as I said, ask me about that. But our theme uh, this year has been community in Christ, and so this lesson fits very well into that idea of the community of Christ believers, Christ followers, coming together in local churches, local places throughout the world. It's happening right now as we speak. Just imagine if you could just kind of go around the globe and just look around and see all of the places where God's people are meeting right now. Why join a local church? So, why are there so many who believe in God but do not join a local church? Do you have you you probably thought about that, haven't you? Why? Well, I'm going to have a few reasons here, and you may have others, but I'm going to have five here, and they're on the outline. But why is it that people believe in God? They may believe in Jesus, but they don't join with a local congregation. Sometimes it's just because people don't know and they need to be taught, right? Sometimes people need to know, maybe they've been taught wrong, and we need to look in the Scripture and show them those things, that this is where God's Word talks about that. Sometimes, maybe people don't want accountability and transparency. I don't want you in my stuff, right? So maybe that's part of it. Sometimes I don't necessarily want to be vulnerable and open and transparent to a group and to a community. And so it's best for me just to be off to myself. I can have Jesus, not religion. Thank you very much. That's sometimes what is thought. Sometimes people are overwhelmed with religious confusion. Goodness sakes, if you look around, all of these different thoughts and teachings and ideas, everybody's saying they're right and the other guy's wrong. Has that ever, you ever been confused by that? Raise your hand. Three people. John 17 tells us, and we're not going to read this, but John 17, Jesus says, I'm praying that we'll be one so that the world will know. So think about that. Sometimes the religious confusion and all of the noise religiously may turn people off. And so that's, we have to understand that. Sometimes people are wrestling with heavy weights of guilt and shame and anxiety and fear. And, and they may not want to come in, in a group for all of the baggage that they have. Maybe you can relate with that or know somebody who can relate with that. And another thing is sometimes, sometimes there are people who believe in God and believe in Jesus, but they've been so badly hurt by churchy people. And I said this last Wednesday, and I mean, it was amazing how many people raised their hands in class. Like, how many of you know somebody 
or maybe you've been this person. You don't have a problem with God. You have a a problem with people who claim to follow God. And so those are reasons sometimes why people say, well, just give me Jesus, don't give me church. Give me Jesus, don't give me religion. And so we have to understand that, that there's a lot of different reasons maybe going on in somebody's mind, and you may think of others and, and share those with me afterwards. And so as we talk, we're talking to somebody, we have to understand we can't just put them in a box and, and this is why you're doing that. Well, there may be a lot of reasons why someone's not joining a local church, and so we need to understand that as we're talking to people. Okay, so we're going to look at three reasons today why join a local church. Number one is part of God's design. That's the first point. And all of these have to do with design, and they overlap with each other. But number one is part of God's design for you and me. And the second thing is, what we're going to look at from a scripture in Acts is that the local church is God's designed result from preaching the gospel. We'll look at that. And the third thing is, we're designed by God to be part of a community of believers. That's what God made us for, to be part of a community not to be individuals to ourselves. So the first thing, and we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Why join a local church? It's part of God's design for you and me. This is what God planned from the beginning. But I want to take some time to do some explaining about this word church. Because it's used differently in the Bible. Some of you know that, don't you? That the way the word church is used is different depending on the context. There are two main ways this word church is used. It's a Greek word, ekklesia. If you know Spanish, you may think of the word iglesia. Okay, it's, a, it's that same kind of idea. But we have this assembly, this congregation. That's what this word means. And Two main ways that it's used in the Bible is in a universal sense. That means all Christians everywhere, in any country, in any time, we are part of this body, this church. And that's Ephesians chapter 1. Read with me. Well, I'll read for you and just follow along. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 3. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the, to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So there is in a universal sense, all Christians everywhere are in the body of Christ. Christ is the head. Okay, we, by the way, we can't have the head without the body. So you have to have the body if you're going to have the head. You can't say, give me Jesus, not the church. Well, it's a a head and a body. You can't separate those. So God's design is this church universally, but We see it played out in the New Testament with local bodies of believers. And in your notes, I mean, I just went through and found all different kinds of examples of local churches, local bodies of believers meeting in different cities or meeting in homes or meeting in upper rooms or meeting in different places, but they are assembling as local churches, local ecclesias, local bodies. And so I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. As we look at this and demonstrate this point that this is part of God's design for you and me. The church is not an afterthought. The church is part of God's plan. Jesus said, and uh, some of you will know this and so you can help me with it. Jesus says, upon this rock I will build. 
my church, Matthew 16. And, and he's going to open up the gates of heaven and, and people are going to come in and, and death can't stop it. So I'm going to build my church. But what we have to think about and reason through in our minds is how does that play out in the New Testament? Jesus built a church, but did, did he build one church where everybody's coming to all over the globe? That's not how his design and his plan played out in the Bible. But I do want us to be impressed with what Ephesians 3 says about this universal idea, this idea of the church and what he designed. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 10 and 11. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was part of his eternal plan. The church, not an afterthought. This is how what we're doing right now is displaying God's wisdom, not just to the world, but to the spiritual realm. God is like, here's my wisdom. I need to think about that more. What we're doing here is, is significant because God is like laying us out as the body of Christ saying, this is my wisdom on display. So part of his eternal plan is designed for you and me. Again, as Jesus said, I will build my church. We see that played out in the New Testament as local churches. The second thing I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 11, please. The second point. We're going to spend most of our time in the third point. So if these first two points go quickly, don't get excited. I'm just saying. Acts chapter 11. God designed it this way. The gospel is preached... People hear the gospel. They respond to the preaching of the word. They come to faith and they turn to Jesus and are baptized for the remission of their sins. And then local churches are formed. That's the design. And we see that played out. I want to give you an example of this very thing where we see people being preached to. They're hearing the word of God. And then they come to Christ and now they're assembling in a thing called a church. It's the natural result of the preaching of the gospel. It is the natural plan of God that he designed is to be part of a community. Acts chapter 11, we're going to talk about Antioch, which became, I mean, that was Paul's home city as he was preaching the gospel throughout the world. He kept coming back to this church. But let's look and see how they were formed. The gospel preached, people saved, local churches formed. Verse 19, Acts chapter 11. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on the coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. That's the message. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed and turned to the Lord. They, the, the text doesn't stop here. They don't go to their home and say, okay, now I've got Jesus, I'm good. That's not where the text stops. Verse 23, 
No, 22, when the, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, that's where the apostles were, they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and he came and he saw the grace of God. He was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So now they've been saved, they've, they've come to Jesus, and now they say, hey, here's the son of encouragement, Barnabas. What do these new Christians need? Encouragement. Send Barnabas. And what's he doing? He's meeting with them and he's teaching them. He's encouraging them to continue in the faith. All right. Verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Now this group is adding more people. And so now Barnabas needs help. He goes to Tarsus to seek Saul, get Saul, which we know as Paul. Verse 26, and when they had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with, what's that say? We, we have a church now, don't we? It went from the preaching of the gospel to people being saved and encouraged, and now a church is formed. That's the natural progression of the preaching of the gospel. They met with the church and, and taught a great many people in Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians. The new Christian Paul, when he became a Christian, his natural desire right from the beginning, Acts 9, 26, was to join the disciples. And so our first two points, again, it's part of God's design. This is the natural design of the obedience to the gospel. The gospel is preached, people are saved, local churches are formed. That's what happens throughout the New Testament. You can see it happen throughout the book of Acts. But the third and the third and point and the, the, the longest point here, and I want you to stay with me in Acts chapter 11, is that we were designed by God to be part of this community of believers. And we need to, we need to really camp out in this thought. Because if you go back to the beginning of why people don't join a, a local church, again, we have a lot of different reasons, but we have to be reminded, you start in Genesis and you read through the Bible, just... You can do that today, right? You can read the whole Bible in one day. But you take from Genesis to Revelation, you look at what God planned for people. Did he ever design for them to go off and be to themselves? Was that ever really part of God's plan? No. His design was a community. And he designed for people to be gathered together in those groups, those communities, uh, Worshiping together, teaching together, encouraging one another, doing good things together to help the group and to help others in need. We see that played out here in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 through 30, with this young church, Antioch. This young congregation at Antioch, now they are saved, they understand the grace of God, and then they hear about other Christians in need. And what does this church do? They come together as a community, giving of their means to help the church in Jerusalem. Verses 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. What's the response? We know people are going to be hurting. The church... A group of individual Christians decided collectively, we're going to do something about that. Is that not what Dallin Road has done and so many other churches have done? We're going to do something about that to ease the suffering of our brothers and sisters. 
We'll talk more about that next week, by the way, as uh, Greg's going to have some thoughts about the anniversary of Hurricane Harvey. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And this they did, sending to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. You see, this church, Christians heard, people heard the gospel, they became Christians, they started in local churches, and then they collectively have concern. And they're collectively working. They're banding together and saying, how can we help those among us who are in need? And that still happens today, like I said, among God's people. Turn with me to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, please. We're going to camp out for a while here in 1 Corinthians. Because a lot of these concepts are here in this church. You know, one of the things I said before is sometimes we don't want to be part of a local congregation because of the people who, who pretend to be followers of God and what that does to us. But it's interesting to me as I read this because I understand, and I know many of you understand, how, how God's people sometimes can be very hurtful and abusive. But if you read 1 Corinthians, there was a church full of chaos. It was a church full of carnality, chapter 3. They were just worldly minded. They came up out of the water, but they still had to grow. And now they have spiritual gifts, and they have their divisions, and they have, again, their carnal minds, and they get in the middle of this mix, and it's a mess. But it's fascinating to me that in 1 Corinthians, the solution by God wasn't quit church. His response was, get right, church. That's the response. And that requires individuals to get right. So why join a local church? We're going to look at this third. Wait a minute. There you go. There's that third point. 1 Corinthians 1. I want you to notice verses 1 and 2 with me, please. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. You see that? It's God's church located in this city. That's, that, that's a common description through these the letters of Paul. The church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints individually. Is that what your version says? Mine says, called to be saints together. Now I'm saved, so now I've got Jesus. I don't need anything else. No, that's not true. We are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. We are called to be saints together. As we think about the world, and I know we've made these points over and over, but as we look at the chaos in our world and the violence and the hatred and the immorality and the, just the stuff that blows our mind, it should be a reminder more than anything that we need to be with our community of believers. We need to be with each other to encourage each other. That's what we were designed to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, 
we're also told that this group of believers is standing on something. In a world where nobody seems to stand on anything other than what they want to do, and we want to celebrate evil, there needs to be a community of people who stand on the absolute truth of the Word of God and says, this is where we stand. That's us. And so we speak with one voice, saying, this is the truth of God, and on this we will make our stand. We do that collectively as a church. We see in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 4. This is why Paul sent Timothy out. This is why Paul sent Timothy to go teach and preach to other churches. Because uh, there has to be a, a foundation upon which the church stands. And it's the same foundation for every congregation. It's the words of Christ. 1 Corinthians 4, I urge you, verse 16, I urge you then be imitators of me. And that is why I sent you Timothy. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, which I teach everywhere, in what? Every church. Every church. So whether we're here, or somewhere in Africa, or somewhere in Vietnam, or somewhere in New York, or it doesn't matter, we have the same foundation. We have the same words. We should have the same stand. This is the absolute truth, the written word of God. And that needs to be something with which God's people speak. With one voice we speak that. It's amazing how many, and I say that in sadness, how many people, including those following Christianity, are starting to wonder whether this is absolute truth or not. And so we all the more have to be teaching and encouraging about those things. Let's keep going into 1 Corinthians. Let's look at chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at this idea that God's people came together like we're doing right now. It may have looked a little different. I mean, there may have been meeting in a home. So I don't know if 300 people would have met in their home, how they did that, but they met in a home. There are churches and homes in a lot of places, but they were meeting together on Sundays and in other days. But they were coming together and taking the Lord's Supper. They were singing together. They were praying together. They were giving together. They were encouraging one another in a lot of different ways. They were reading the scripture together, which we'll do tonight at five as we read from 2 Timothy. But in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 34, we won't read this whole thing, but I would encourage you to look at this concept of come together. It's throughout this section in verses 17, they are coming together. Verse 18, they are coming together as a church. But I want to come back to a point I made here a moment ago. Their coming together was not for the better, but for the worse. You can see that in verse 17. They were coming together, verse 18, with divisions. They weren't real. They were in the same location, but they weren't together. And in this taking of the Lord's Supper, 
As we sang about, as Ryan led us in that song, as we think about sharing the Lord, there was divisiveness in the midst of the assembly and favoritism and partiality in groups. And he says his response to that is not, I want to play off something that Jason said earlier, this is not, okay, you guys are messing up the Lord's Supper, so take it less. Take it quarterly, take it once a year. His response was, get this right. And so the church is coming together as they are partaking, verse 23 through 26, of the Lord's Supper. I want you to notice what we do collectively. What we just did when Jason led us in the taking of the communion, we made a unified statement that we believe Jesus is the Son of God and the risen Lord. And we proclaim his death until he comes, verse 26. We made that unified statement. It's one thing for individuals to make that statement. It's another thing for a group come together as a, as a body of believers with one unified stand saying, we stand on the authority of the word of God and we accept Jesus as the risen Lord. And we believe in that and we honor that. There's something powerful that happens when God's people come together to do that. Chapter 14. There's a lot more we could say, but just trying to take notice of a few things in these passages. Again, they're, in chapter 14, they're using these spiritual gifts. Some had the gift to speak in tongues. Some had the gift to prophesy. Some had uh, miraculous knowledge that was, later would be revealed uh, in the written word that we have now. But they had all these different gifts. But remember, they're selfish and they're carnal and they're divisive. And so how do you think they're going to use these gifts? It's going to be a mess, isn't it? But his solution wasn't. Quit, go home, and forget church. The response is get church right. Verse 23, or verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Notice this. Let all things be done for edification, for building up. What are we doing here? Hopefully, it's not to make it about me or to make it about you. Hopefully, when we come together, this is for our mutual building up and edification. Okay. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we continue. Now, if I had the King James uh, Version, which I haven't used in a long time, but the King James Version, I like the word that, it, that the King James uses here in 1 Corinthians 16 about being addicted to the ministry of the saints. There's a lot of things we can get addicted to or devoted to, but if there's, there's something that we really want to get addicted to and devoted to, it is serving one another. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Verse 15. I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves, addicted themselves to the service of the saints. Think about this mentality of these Christians. They have come up out of the waters of baptism. They have been cleansed by the, the blood of Christ and their mentality is others. Others. I'm addicting myself, devoting myself to the service, the ministry of the saints. And notice what effect they had on Paul, verse 18. I am learning a lot about hot Texas sun and the value of water. 
and you're out in that hot Texas sun and you get that cold glass of water, how refreshing it is. Paul says, they refreshed my spirit. You don't have that if you're just off to yourself as a Christian. Amen? You don't have that if you're off to yourself as a Christian. They are devoted to the community, and in that devotion and addiction to each other, Paul says, that was a, just a glass of ice water at the time that I needed it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go back to chapter 5. Another phrase that you can look at, especially in this chapter, but it's not just here, but the phrase among you. Now, here, here's a question. If, if you hear, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, how do you define that if there's no definable group of people called a local church? How do you shepherd over a group that you can't even define? This idea of among you implies that when the church at Corinth came together, they knew who was supposed to be there. They had an identifiable group of people. And that is something I think we have to understand and study and, and teach others, is that among you means they knew who was there and who should be there and who shouldn't be there and who was a visitor. We see that. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 one of the benefits that makes you and I uncomfortable, but it is a benefit and we need to see the value of it. One of the benefits of being part of a community is that sometimes you have to hold me accountable to God's standard of morality. I don't want you in my stuff. I'm just speaking as a mere human. We don't sometimes want, eat, and it, you just stay out of my business. Don't tell me, don't encourage, don't, don't, uh -uh. I'm going I'm to keep that arm out. But the community of believers, we have to hold each other accountable because there is a standard of morality to which Christ calls us. And sometimes we have to hold each other accountable to those things. And the why is in this chapter. Chapter 5 and verse 1, it is reported that there is sexual immorality among you, among you, the church at Corinth, and of a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans, a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought not you rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed, what? Are you guys with me? From among you. Same thing is said in verse 13 at the end of the chapter. There was a time that, verse 4, they were to assemble together. This was part of the function of the local church, was when somebody is living in a way that is outside of Christ's standard of authority and, and, and godly living, the community of believers comes together and holds that person accountable to that. Why? Verse 4 says, so that his soul may be what? So that his soul may be saved in the day of judgment. So if I think about the benefit to that, again, I may not want you in my stuff, but if I'm going to lose my soul, I hope you get in my stuff. We have to understand this. It's part of a community to love one another enough to discipline and to help each other walk the right path 
understanding the point here is to verse 5, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of judgment. Let's continue into Hebrews chapter 13. We'll read two passages from Hebrews and then we'll close. Hebrews chapter 13. In all of these local churches, as you start reading through the New Testament, you get to the churches of Galatia. And these Christians are now meeting in churches. Paul comes back and he appoints elders in every city. Paul sends Titus, as we've been studying in the auditorium class. Paul sends Titus to appoint elders in every city. They are told to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. Acts 20. These are all in your notes. 1 Peter 5. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Which tells us that we have a group of people, like our, our group of godly shepherds, who are overseeing our souls. They are accountable to God. They are accountable to us. We are accountable to them. We have entered into a relationship to submit to their authority and follow their godly rule because they're trying to help us get to heaven. And that's what we see here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. We need this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We're given someone to follow. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. You see the purpose of a local church? It's not just you're saved off to yourself. No, you're saved to be part of a church and accountable to leadership. Why? Because they're watching out over our souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We're designed to be part of a community of believers. In the final verse, and then we'll close, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And then I'll make another 20 observations and then the lesson will be yours. <laughs> Hebrews 10. What am I thinking about when it comes to you, when it comes to church, when it comes to the local congregation here? What am I thinking about? This tells me what to think about. This tells me how to prepare my mind to be with you and for how, how you are to prepare your mind to be with me. Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25. I usually heard verse 25 as kind of a sledgehammer to beat people that could never miss a service. That is not the goal here of this. The goal here is to encourage people for the value of what we're doing together collectively. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love the versions that say provoke. We do a lot of provoking, right? I need to consider how to provoke you to love and good works. I'm going to think about David. How can I consider him to love and good works? And that's what we should be thinking about. How can I help promote your love and good works? And then verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is drawing near. One day you'll be in front of Jesus. One day I'll be in front of Jesus. The day is drawing near. And as we see that happening all the more, as we, like, we realize our immortality we realize how life is, is, is so fleeting and uncertain. 
What do I see more than anything is my need to join myself to you. And for you to join yourself to me so we can encourage one another. So those are the thoughts as we, as we wrap up this lesson. We're designed to be part of community. And I hope that these things are encouraging to you. If you have not yet been baptized into the, into the name of Jesus Christ, if you have questions about that, ask us. But if you know that Jesus is the Lord, he's the risen Lord, and you, you believe that the Bible is the word of God, like I want to follow Jesus, you know that if you are baptized into Jesus for the remission of your sins, you are added to his body. And you can do that today. Please come forward while we stand and sing. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at Aaron, that's A-A-Ron, at shepherdingtalk.com. Thank you very much and have a great day.